0: Welcome to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. During last week's interview with Jamie Gold, I identified in my mind Jamie's celebrity alike, someone his voice was reminding me of throughout the interview, and I asked on Twitter if anyone could guess who I was thinking of, and nobody did. Uh, so I'll now reveal who I was tweeting about. John McEnroe, or as some in our world might know him, the Phil Hellmuth of tennis. Uh, here are clips of Jamie and Mac back to back. Let's see if you hear what I hear.
1: Did not produce it. I was not involved with it from the beginning. Um, it's something I'm coming into late in the game. Um, but I'm, I'm just such a, a, you know, a fan and so intrigued by you know this story he's a magnificent mover uh he's like berijnikov um he doesn't put a lot of strain on his body that's something that you're sort of born with and 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 maybe to some degree you're you're helped out by certain people around you
0: so what do you think john am i onto something or are you not hearing what i'm hearing
2: uh eric you cannot be serious <laughs> um. Now you're, you're you're onto a little something, I suppose. You know, uh, I once asked McEnroe a question after he won a five-set match at the U.S. Open uh, at a press conference, and I think it was about a service break and a second set or something, and he insisted it was the third set, and I held my ground, and then he reversed himself, and uh, that was pretty sweet. Uh, he was okay. a little daunting to ask a question of, as you can imagine, but um, uh, I think th- this uh, – Challenge yours, though. I think it goes to a tiebreaker. So uh, we would need to have Jamie back to talk about tennis to be sure. Wait, wait. Or better still, let's have McEnroe on this podcast and talk Ooh. about poker. Then we'll be there.
0: All right. Hey, I'm, I'm up for having McEnroe on our podcast, but uh, as far as uh, involving Jamie in some sort of a tiebreaker, after we finished recording last week, uh, I, I was chatting with Jamie for a while, and I told him about my thoughts on him sounding like McEnroe, and he said that nobody had ever told him that before, but that he could kind of hear it, uh, and noted that, you know, they're both from the New York area, so maybe there yeah. was just something in the accent and the cadence, but so, I, on the spot, I asked Jamie to give me a you cannot be serious, uh, and and he complied, and I thought it was it was pretty dead on. But
2: uh, oh, I wish I had that on,
0: on tape. Though I, I, right I know, I okay. know, I should have had it still recording. But uh, as long as we're on the topic, anyone ever tell you that you sound like someone famous, John? Have you ever have you ever gotten any, anyone uh, uh, as a sound alike?
2: No, but I uh, I, had, I dated a girlfriend many years ago. Told me I looked like Michael Keaton, and I don't Ooh. like look like Michael Keaton, but he was Batman at the time, so okay. you know I rolled with it. Um, <laughs> somebody told me once that I was just like a a, a newspaper reporter. Uh, character in The Wire. I've never seen The Wire, so I don't know. Um, Hmm. And another guy told me I could be on Boardwalk Empire. I wouldn't have to make any adjustments (laughs) at all. I've never seen that show either, so I don't know.
0: Okay, well, I've seen both of those shows, and (laughs) I am picturing one of the, like, police chief-type guys on The Wire that maybe I could see uh, the, the physical resemblance, if, if you, if you got the, maybe they got the, the jobs mixed up, be. but, um, I once was told, uh, that my voice sounded like Adam Carolla and, uh, I, t- I took that as a bit of an insult. He does not have the, he's like, my voice is a little on the nasal side. I feel like his is like cranked up. Uh, so that was, uh, not, not the best person to be compared to voice wise. I'd rather have Mac and McEnroe.
2: I will have him on then, too,
0: because that sounds good. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 64 of Gamble On. We now have enough episodes for a March Madness-style bracket to determine our greatest episode. Uh, If you missed any of our previous 63 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, and review.
2: Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Anthony Curtis. Uh, he's the publisher of Las Vegas Advisor, and for the last several weeks, he's been a sports betting handler of sorts for Jim Mattress Mac McInvale. Um Anthony will take us behind the scenes of Mattress Mac's ultimately unsuccessful multi-million dollar hedge in the Houston Astros. Uh, plus, we'll talk to him a little bit about Vegas and the rise of sports betting in general. Uh, but first, it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling, that's for sure. So let's get to it.
1: Here's your Gamble On
2: News of the Week. An inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
0: Add another state to the list, Colorado is on its way to legalizing sports betting, and the centennial state got there in dramatic fashion. Back in May, the state legislature passed HB 1327 and sent it to the governor, who signed it, but that doesn't make it law in Colorado. First, it had to pass as a statewide ballot question on Election Day this Tuesday, and pass it did by a narrow 17,000-vote margin out of almost 1.4 million votes cast. Just my opinion here, but... I'm thinking this wouldn't have been close if not for the wording of the ballot question. Quote, shall state taxes be increased by $29 million annually to fund state water projects and commitments and to pay for the regulation of sports betting through licensed casinos by authorizing a tax on sports betting of 10% of net sports betting proceeds and to impose the tax on persons licensed to conduct sports betting, end quote. Uh, I think it's easy to see how people who didn't have this carefully explained to them beforehand would vote no. Uh, But, Some $2.7 million was reportedly contributed to the Yes campaign, including big contributions from FanDuel and DraftKings, and it was just enough to educate voters, overcome that ballot language, and get it passed. So Colorado should have regulated sports betting starting in May 2020, both retail and online. John, your thoughts on the wording of that ballot measure and whether this will help kick off a real domino effect of sports betting legalization out West in 2020.
2: Yeah, that was a beauty. You know, shall state taxes be increased? Um, Matt Carey from Gambling Compliance noted at a sports betting investor summit that we attended in Manhattan on Monday that, you know, whatever comes after that is probably going to be in some trouble. So as you know, um, yep. but it's Colorado and they care about the environment there quite a bit. And I assume the big water lobby also boosted this proposal. So that had to help. Um, <laughs> as far as dominoes go, though, the, the West is just too big for one. Um, remember, casino legalization took forever out there for two. Um, and like the rest of the country, you don't have the largest cities always seeming to be based on bodies of water that border other states so you don't have that oh no our big city folks are moving their discretionary dollars out to the next state that's sort of pressure so uh and finally though, the best place is to be uh in the west in general uh is outside to where you probably don't even have internet connectivity and i hope <laughs> you never will because we need some sort of safe space <laughs> to get away from this maddening world
0: i suppose so if you live in in a nice place it is a shame to waste your time uh inside <laughs> yeah. and just surfing the internet or, or whatever but um Yeah, I mean, looking at some of those surrounding states, uh, the one uh, right in between uh, Colorado and Nevada, I do believe, is Utah. So that's one where I I don't think it matters what's going on in the states (laughs) uh, next door. Uh, But, you know, some of those other ones, maybe Nebraska, Wyoming, Kansas, where I I believe there's already uh, some progress. So, uh, you know, I could see it spreading, but maybe not quite in the way it is uh, in the Northeast, where it seems like. Almost everyone is uh, either on board or uh, getting some legislation moving along. But I have to say, this was a fun sweat. I I kind of like the idea (laughs) of making sports betting a a ballot measure. Somebody Mm -hmm. should have posted odds on it passing. That would have been Mm -hmm. the ultimate meta sports bet there.
2: Yes, I remember there was some uh, informal uh, numbers on the Supreme Court overturning uh, PASPA back in May of 2018. And uh, I think the line was – Right. Well, it was around six. Uh, if you can get five and a half, you're in good shape. And really, the the it was like a six and a half, two and a half final because Justice Breyer couldn't decide which side of the aisle to be on. So uh, it would have been a little I guess we would need official data on that, come to think of it. You really <laughs> right. couldn't tell what what Justice Breyer was talking about and his uh, sort of affirmation, his dissent, whatever it was.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, we're really going down the wormhole now. But, uh... yes, we are. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move along to our second story. Uh, it took a long two years after legislation was passed. But finally, this week, legal, regulated online poker came to my home state of Pennsylvania, PokerStars, the biggest name in the game, with some 70% of the global market share, kicked off its soft launch on Monday at 2.10 p.m. and by 8 o'clock that evening had over 700 players seated in cash games, an encouraging number considering PokerStars in New Jersey currently averages about 70 players seated at a time. Uh, Tuesday's 10 hours of soft launch saw the peak number cross 1,000, And the same was true when the site went fully live on Wednesday. Uh, Tournaments filled up and surpassed their guarantees all three days. Mobile apps are up and running. The PokerStars online casino is operating as well with very limited table games, of course, as seems to be the way of things in Pennsylvania. Uh, But all in all, it seems to have been a smooth launch with very encouraging numbers, especially considering how many thousands upon thousands of potential poker players in the state had no idea the site had even launched. Um, If one wants to be a pessimist, though, one could say this is just the enthusiasm of the opening days and it will soon trail off, as it eventually did in New Jersey. Uh, John, do you see reason to be encouraged by these numbers from week one and... Does any of it really mean anything if Pennsylvania doesn't start sharing liquidity with other states in the next year or two?
2: Wait, wait next year or two? <laughs> what is it with you Keystone staters? You should have a compact with the jersey for poker <laughs> yesterday, and they're – you know, there's another yeah. eight regulars in Delaware you should be bringing in, and um, <laughs> there's dozens of people in Nevada who who play online poker who decide that the red light that separates them from the casino across the street from their residence is just too much to bear. So well, throw them all in there, and you got something. But uh, now, in all seriousness, for once, I, I think Pennsylvania for New Jersey could finally be the catalyst of online poker needs, especially if they can get a third border state going, and then get the dominoes rolling uh, in that in that respect.
0: Yeah. Um, I was looking a little bit at the, uh, the Sunday schedule for tournaments. That's always the big day, uh, in poker. Uh, they don't have the whole schedule posted yet, but that, that'll just be interesting to see what the Sunday tournament schedule looks like for a single site in a single state. So far, there's like, uh, there's a $50 and a $100 buy-in on the schedule, but that was it last time I looked. So not sure what'll be added there, but, uh, certain things are, are missing from, uh, this version of poker stars that we have right now in Pennsylvania, uh, just a personal preference here, but I sure hope Zoom, cash games, and spin-and-goes are added soon. Um, and I can't quite imagine why those wouldn't be available in Pennsylvania when they're available in New Jersey, but hopefully it was just a case of the uh, PGCB wanting to keep it manageable during the soft launch. But uh, we are now in full launch, and and as of Thursday morning, uh, no Zooms or, or spin-and-goes.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm sure New Jersey regulators are ready to embrace Pennsylvania. Uh even sort of teach them a thing or two since it takes them years to get something done. Um and, and just just make it happen and then then, you know, these these big companies can do some serious marketing in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey to let them know that it's not just that they're that it exists, but that you've got these two states together. I think even a somewhat casual poker player is gonna have an understanding that having that second state uh, of uh liquidity of players available is really gonna help uh you know, their options, whatever they log on. And uh, I think it can get going. It's taken forever, but it's possible. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. But you're absolutely right to isolate that. It's these two States finding a way to work together. That's that, Seems like it'll be a tipping point if and when that happens, but uh, I guess you 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 want it to happen. Well, no, I shouldn't say you want it to happen faster than I do, but uh, you're uh, less patient about the possibility that it may take a while.
2: Well, I just don't understand why it would take any time at all. That's what I don't get. I mean, yeah. they've had a little they've had a little bit of downtime in the last couple of years to maybe you know sort of grease the wheels a little bit for uh, for when they actually get it going. But we're we're gonna find out pretty soon if they were doing that or or not.
0: <laughs> right. Or or if the whole thing is sort of stalling until all the wire act. Business is totally, completely, and totally settled. Um, that yeah, you know, it's, I, I suspect Pennsylvania in particular. It seems like they don't yeah. want to mess with that until they know uh, that that the crossing state lines is okay uh, as far as the whatever the the current Wire Act interpretation is.
2: Well, that's true, and and uh, you know, New Hampshire. There's a delay in that uh, appeal. The Court of Appeals case uh, just happened last week, so uh, that's not going to be settled until next spring, and then we'll find out if there's an appeal from there. So, yeah, that's a good way to put a damper on this story, Eric. You're right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Next time that we touch on this, we should really uh, set a line for uh, the first, first day of shared liquidity between mm-hmm. Pennsylvania and New Jersey. I haven't put enough thought into it yet, but that, okay. that could be a fun over-under. I'll be ready. All right. Um, so we had a few options for our final news story this week. Uh, we could have focused on the return of James Holzhauer to Jeopardy, uh, but uh, spoiler alert, he won in fairly undramatic fashion in the first round of the Tournament of Champions. He'll be back next week. Not much more to say about that. Uh, we could have talked about the NBA announcing a partnership with DraftKings or FanDuel and Madison Square Garden finalizing a deal. But eh, at this point, partnership deals like that just get the shoulder shrug emoji. Uh, so... Instead, our final news item this week is about a pair of significant East Coast industry events, one attended by John, one attended by me. Uh, John attended the New York City Sports Betting Investor Summit and the Sports Betting USA Conference, and I'll let him talk about that. Uh, but first I'll say a few words about the 76 capital sports innovation conference and pitch competition, which I attended on Wednesday in Philadelphia. It was at citizens bank park where the Phillies play. And there were plenty of stars on the schedule. Some Philly based, some not we had Ryan Howard and Brian Westbrook representing Philly sports. We had Ralph Sampson and David Stern among the big non Philly names, plus industry types, Sarah Slane and Kenny Gersh. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. sharing a panel, but, but without fireworks, uh. Uh, (laughs) as well as uh, Matthew Berry from ESPN, Matt Cullen from Parks, and on and on. The big takeaway was that this event wasn't really about sports betting. It was about sports business and innovation. But on almost every panel, the conversation turned to sports betting. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of what will appear in my articles on Friday and Monday – But uh, David Stern closed the show and to an extent stole it by speaking mostly in comedic one-liners. And uh, Slane made perhaps the most important point of the day that sports betting was the entry point that has knocked down a lot of doors, paving the way for the real moneymaker online casino. Uh, So, uh, John, if you have any questions for me about the event, fire away, uh, and then uh, tell the listeners a little about the highlights from New York City.
2: Well, first I'd say former Gamble On podcast guest Sarah had a busy week (laughs) because I saw her at one of my New York City events as well. Um, And, you know, actually her point is similar to one that became one of the most – Important themes that I took away from my conferences. Um, the slight variation of it was just a growing consensus of a unified theory getting uh, out there in the industry Uh, the concern before was that once you get state lawmakers to realize that 1 million in sports betting handle might produce 50,000 in in revenue and 5,000 in taxes Um, they kind of pout and maybe they take their ball and go home Um, but if you get them to team it in legislation with online casino, which as sarah notes is where the bigger money is You know, everybody wins um well, not the better who goes from a slow and acceptable bleed on <laughs> sports betting to wait, I just blinked on online casino and now I have to make another deposit. Yep. So maybe a final tweak is needed there. But um, I also notice how differently the leagues now act just a year after being at war with these sports betting operators. Um, uh, it's a pretty widespread truce there, you know, uh, from panel to panel and um finally i have a I have a piece coming out today uh where big lotteries stake their claim to a place at the sports betting table. um A lot of gamblers won't want to read it or hear it, but uh, they made the case at least
0: okay um th- yeah just as far as the the leagues um and uh, and their uh change stance, it was definitely. Uh, pure pure peace between uh, Sarah and Kenny uh, on that panel, although they did acknowledge, I forget which one of them said it, that uh, we've shared a lot of panels before and, and uh, uh, we've butted heads, but I don't think that's going to happen today, something like that.
2: Yeah, I think I think everybody is getting smarter. You know, it's easy to, uh, you know, be annoyed with the other person or not see their point of view, but it's not really that productive. I mean, that was sort of the theme with the uh, the lottery folks. I mean, they've been jabbed at by the casino uh, the people and obviously it works both ways. And they've admitted that and they're kind of realizing, you know. As one one legislator said, or one uh, regulator said, you know, we're all rowing in the same direction. So, you know, why do we have to fight about this?
0: Right. Um. It's funny you mentioned that uh, Sarah Slane was just at the event that you were at right before she was at the event that I was at, because it wasn't her panel, but a different sports betting panel, like a couple different people commented mm-hmm. about how they were just at another conference in New York <laughs> the day before. We may have reached a sports betting conference oversaturation, John.
2: Yeah, I had looked at yours a couple of weeks ago, and then I realized I can't do all that. I can't do it. I remember I had a red eye from Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and there was going to be an event a few hours later that afternoon in, in Manhattan on, on, on that day, and I just couldn't do it. I just went to sleep and gave up. And I just – you can't do them all, unfortunately.
0: Yep, no, that's that's the right decision. Coming back from a red eye, no, don't, don't attend a conference that first day after you fly in on a red eye. It's time to welcome a special guest
2: from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
0: assume our listeners are generally familiar with the story of Jim Mattress Mac McIngvale, the Texas businessman who was on the hook for millions of dollars in giveaways if the Astros won the World Series. So he sought to hedge on the potential hit by betting millions on the Astros to win. Anthony Curtis is the longtime publisher of Las Vegas Advisor, not to mention the publisher of a little book called The Moneymaker Effect, still available for purchase at shoplva.com. And he found himself over the last couple of months serving as Mattress Mac's betting handler, essentially, traveling with Mac and helping him get big bets down. And Anthony joins us now to take us behind the scenes of this high-stakes sports betting journey. Anthony, welcome to Gamble On. Good to be here. So you went from state to state and sports book to sports book trying to help Mac book action, and you wrote in the LVA newsletter, honestly, New Jersey and Mississippi kicked Nevada's butt overall. What makes you say that? What was surprisingly good about Jersey and Mississippi and surprisingly bad about the Vegas casinos?
1: Well, New Jersey and Mississippi, uh, mostly because of DraftKings and FanDuel, were willing to take the bigger bets. Uh, when we began in Las Vegas, I say we because it was myself and a partner, Frank B. A lot of people in the sports betting world may have heard of Frank. Frank is uh, extremely good at uh, at the craft, and I wouldn't have taken it on if I didn't have Frank uh, at my side there. But um, anyway, when we when he and I approached most of the or we've approached all of the books in Nevada and uh, or in Las Vegas, and they were very reticent to take big wagers. On the other hand, um, I put a call into Matt Kalish from DraftKings. Uh, he's one of the three founders of of DraftKings, and um, right away they agreed to take a 3.5 million dollar bet. On the heels of that, FanDuel came in and took a 1.5 million dollar bet. On the heels of that, Unibet took a million dollar bet. Uh, the only thing close to that in Nevada was um, was Circa Sports, the new the new group from uh, Derek Stevens downtown, which took collectively over two million in wagers. And uh, William Hill, of course, which uh, took a a million-dollar bet once or twice from us. So the other books were very, very tentative to take wagers, uh, sometimes not even letting us bet at the window for for regular limits. They just wanted nothing to do with the fact that I think that I was involved and Frank was involved. Uh, We were actually giving them square bets. We were giving them regular market bets. We weren't doing something special. The computers had kicked out. This was necessary to do for us to get the money down for the hedge. Yet these Nevada books were very, very timid to take this action.
0: That's interesting that, that your your reputation in Nevada possibly played a role in it. And meanwhile, would you say that with DraftKings and FanDuel being so willing that a lot of it was them seeing the publicity upside in it?
1: Without question. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The, the main reason they're doing it um, you know, on the East Coast is they're trying to get a foothold in the business. Uh, the Nevada books are very, um, you know, call it pompous, maybe, you know, it's like, we're the deal out here. And we've, we've been doing it forever. And, and we don't need um, to fend them off or get the publicity, whatever. On the other hand, the East Coast books were like, you know, when we went in to make the bet, when we first made the bet, we're like, all right, I guess we got to be quiet about this. And before we got the words out of our mouth, we saw a picture of the ticket tweeted out. So, I mean, they wanted everybody in the world to know that they were taking big action back there. And that's really what played the biggest role in in them doing so.
2: Right. Yeah, you know, Anthony, I I was one of those uh, media members at the Meadowlands, uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook when uh, Mattress Mac came by last month. And um, he actually showed up at the racetrack, but he made the bet technically online. As you say, I got a uh, picture of that ticket myself. Um, Is there any technical reason why uh, you don't go to a window or you bet online that way? And is that just a New Jersey thing
1: or Mississippi also? or? Um, every time we made a bet, every everything had to be orchestrated. You know, obviously, when we're making bets, not even the million dollar bets. I mean, if we're making a bet for a hundred grand, for five hundred grand, you know, usually this is above the limits. So each place had their own rules, and in Nevada, there are certain state rules that had to be adhered to. There were also rules, um, in house rules for each book. Some of them actually required Mac to show up uh, in person. So what happened on the East Coast was Mac needed to be there. They wanted him there. I don't think because of any particular rules, although he had to be in the state to make the to make the bet. But um, they wanted the, they wanted the PR. You know, I mean, if you look if you search it, you can find the videos everywhere of him making the bets at Scarlet Pearl in Mississippi and at Meadowlands, and um, and, and that was just based on what each one of them wanted to do individually.
0: Hmm. So uh, the expansion of sports betting into new States is a huge subtopic of the Mattress Mac story. Um, I'm curious how sports betting expansion is affecting your business as a book publisher. Like I I know your friend and mine, Blair Rodman has a a sports betting book in the works for you. Uh, Does it go beyond that? Has sports betting become the major focus of your publishing business?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, as, as you know, being a part of it with the moneymaker effect, good job with the plug there. <laughs> Thank you know, you. We, were doing, we were doing poker. You know, we were doing a lot of poker. And you know, we've done blackjack and video poker for years. Um, you know, I would absolutely put Huntington Press, blackjack and video poker books up against any books in the world um, on those subjects. Uh, poker, were you know, second place at least, you know, two, uh, two plus two. But in sports betting, there really is nobody, nobody. There's very, very little out there on the market about sports betting right now. So that is our main focus. We've got about six or seven books in the works right now. Uh, Blair's book uh, tentatively tentatively titled all about sports betting is going to be our beginner's book. Mm. And if anybody knows about Blair Rodman, you know, he wrote the beginner's book, Kill Phil, uh, about playing poker tournaments. But that was, you know, anything but a beginner's book. It was a very technical way to play, but something that could be consumed and understood by first-time players. Um, The sports betting book is going to be the same. Then we've got, you know, about five or six others that are covering all areas. Uh, We just published a book. It's out now called Then One Day. It's a a bookie memoir from Chris Andrews, who is the sports book director here at the South Point. And by the way, the South Point took the first big bet in Nevada, maybe because of that relationship. But uh, Jimmy Vaccaro, old-time odds maker, took a $200,000 bet to get the ball rolling for us. Mm -hmm. But uh, Then One Day is out right now. And the idea behind Then One Day was an entertaining look at how sports betting works, but there's also a lot of jargon and lingo in there. So people who read that book, you know, with explanations. So people who read that book will understand other sports betting books that are coming out when we're talking about how the lines work and how bookies talk and that sort of thing.
0: Interesting. And any other authors besides Blair that, uh, that I, I might be familiar with?
1: You know, interestingly, n- not really. Um, okay. the, the guys that are coming out of the woodwork right now are new guys. Hmm. They're new guys that, that, you know, sports betting wasn't that big. So these weren't household names. Right. Um, the closest to that would be a guy who's not really known for sports betting, um, Stanford Wong, you know, long known as a blackjack expert and uh, basically overall gambling expert, tournament expert, um, had a book out. One of the few books that is good on sports betting called Sharp Sports Betting. And um, we've just acquired that book from Pai E Press, which was his publishing company, which is now closing shop but we're going to update that book so Stanford Wong is kind of a known name the, the next thing closest to that is we just put out the second edition of Michael Shackelford's gambling 102 Shackelford is the wizard of odds on you know online and right. uh, he's got a whole new chapter on sports betting just because of how important it has now become
2: right so uh, Eric tells me, Anthony, that you uh, know more than a little bit about uh, uh, card counting. And, you know, obviously for the casual gambler, um, there's such a mystique involved there and how that works. And can you just describe a little bit about what the dance is like between a casino and a, and a card counter?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, card counting itself is, uh, it sounds really sexy, but it's pretty boring. Uh, <laughs> you know, you basically sit there and you do a bunch of, a bunch of uh, you know, mental gymnastics and math in your head. It's kind of like going up and down a number line, really. But then there are some conversions you have to make and, and bring up some industry numbers, but you're doing all this in your head and you're playing the game. And you're, and you're, first of all, getting yelled at by other customers who, uh, who don't understand what you're doing and telling you that you play like shit. Uh, and, and then you're, you know, you're trying to stay under the radar with the casinos, you know, that's the dance you're talking about. So I've always said, you know, playing blackjack for a living is, is equal parts, uh, art and, uh, science and arts. And the science is actually what I just described learning how to do it. The art is getting away with it. And that's just looking like a general rube. It's just looking like you're having time. It's, it's you know, drinking a Heineken while you play. It's, you know, ogling the, the cocktail waitress. It's chatting with the pit boss. It's, you know, not getting too mad when you lose or too excited when you win. It's uh, it's, it's just a big old act, as we call it. It's, uh, it's camouflage in an act.
0: Yeah, I, I recall being uh, with you in Vegas one time where we were sort of standing in the vicinity of a blackjack table and you sort of told me, watch this, watch how close they descend if I get any closer than this. How, <laughs> how long has it been since you uh, were able to play a hand of blackjack in Vegas?
1: Uh, you know, I haven't, I've hardly played a hand of blackjack in Vegas in. geez, man, going on, going on 15 years now probably. Okay. <laughs> you know, every once in a while I just go, and, and the longer it goes, the less, the less I'm known. And, you know, the more I can do and I can sit down and play for small stakes. But, you know, they have the wrong impression that like I'm I'm an ATM or something or they're an ATM to me. I can go up and just extract money at will. It's, you know, it's nothing like that. If I sit down and play at a table, I'm, you know, I'm just a little over 50 percent to come out ahead. Um, and, you know, one time I, I was doing something for a documentary and they wanted to play with live money. And I said, well, if it's OK with the with the bosses. And they're like, absolutely not. We will not play for live money. You can film it for live money, but at the end, we'll settle up and we'll go back <laughs> to, to zero. So we're not doing it for real. I lost 17 hands in a row. <laughs> and I looked at the guy I just laughed. I go, see? You know, so I mean, it's um, they overreact. There's there's absolutely an overreaction. But that was just because of me doing so much television and talking about it on, you know, back, back then TV, now podcasts and things like this. Right
0: all right well great stuff uh, it's always great talking to you anthony thanks so much for, for joining us and uh good luck with, with the sports betting books and and hopefully we'll have uh, blair on the podcast when his comes out
1: fantastic i'll let you know when it's ready
0: thanks
2: anthony two men, two
1: men. ten thousand dollars
2: will they run it up
1: or blow it all
2: it's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll
0: We'll get to the Fast Five shortly. But first, we update our betting bankroll, and we are officially on a roll. Very solid week for us as we went three for four. Uh, John split his two college football bets. He won $100 on Houston covering versus UCF, lost $110 when Georgia Tech didn't cover versus Pitt. Uh, I kept my Thursday night football player prop streak yeah. alive. It's uh, it's now at six in a row as we sweated out a winner on Larry Fitzgerald under 44 and a half yards. He ended up with 38 yards. Uh, so that's a $100 win. <laughs> win and the big win at +290 odds, Canelo Alvarez knocked out Sergey Kovalev in round 11, which falls inside our 7 to 12 window. So we won 290 bucks on that one. That means overall we won $380 this week, putting us $409 ahead. We also have $2,427 on hold in Futures bets, meaning we have $7,982 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Uh,
2: well, Eric, my, my wins continue to be better than my losses on college football. So uh, <laughs> I'm losing money, but I my pride is, I don't know, something like that. But okay. I'm going to keep at it. Uh, you know, first, Miami is one of those unpredictable ACC teams, but I just don't see them covering a six-and-a-half-point spread against Louisville, given the quality of the Louisville defense. So give me the Cardinals over the Hurricanes – plus six and a half points at one ten for a hundred.
0: Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, Shooting for seven in a row on the Thursday night player props. Uh, At some point outside media outlets have to start writing about this, right? (laughs) This is one of the great sports betting stories of the year, Uh, but anyway, Uh, 10, I think. Okay. All right. That's fair. If I hit 10, uh, we start, uh, we get the PR team on it. Um, But anyway, we have the chargers and Raiders and, My initial thought was to go with the over on passing yards for Philip Rivers. The Raiders' defense is a massive pass funnel. They're hard to run on, easy to pass on. But the sports books took this into account, and Rivers' line was between about 298 and 302, depending on the book. And while I do think he'll go over, that's a high line. It's tough to be confident on that one. So instead, I'm looking at the other side of the ball where I found a surprisingly low line for Raiders rookie Hunter Renfro's receiving yards. The line is as low as 27 and a half. Uh, some books have it at 30 and a half, but I uh, also did find 27 and a half. So that's what I'm going with. Uh, this is a young slot receiver who's really starting to click with his quarterback. The last two games he had six catches for 54 yards and four catches for 88 yards. Before that, yes, he was only averaging about 18 yards per game. But I like the trend. I think Carr likes throwing to him. I don't see the Chargers defense going all out to shut him down since he's like the number three or four option on the Raiders. So let's take over 27 and a half yards. And uh, surprisingly, we only have to risk $102 to win 100
2: Wow, well, that's pretty good. Uh, I think we lost an opportunity here, though, because in September we should have had a parlay with Raiders rookie receiver Hunter Renfro and Padres outfielder Hunter Renfro. Um, what do they do? You know that. I'm surprised nobody offered that. Actually, the books are probably kicking themselves because that's, uh could have been appealing to fans of Hunter. Is, you know? is
0: that right? That the the Padres yes. have an outfielder yeah. with the exact same name? his last name, name
2: spelled differently.
0: But, oh, okay. All but right,
2: it's Renfro. Yeah. Good to so, know. So. Uh, Anyway, so my other pick um, – you know, I've done well with Ohio State this year, and I think they're going to win the national title. Um, that made me think of a futures bet, but they're only at plus 300, and I think I agreed to a ban on such bets recently. So I'm going to have to stay away from that. Uh, instead, give me Maryland plus 43 over the Buckeyes at 110 for 100. You know, if nothing else uh, – it's not likely to be one of these games where you feel like you're toast at halftime getting 43. Uh, so just give me a turnover or a special teams play in the first three quarters and uh, boredom overtaking the Ohio State sideline near the end, and I, I've got a shot here.
0: Okay, wow. Is that the is that the widest line that you've taken a side on so far? Yes. And that's, yeah, yes. I rate. think
2: SEC teams are so used to having those lines that, you know, if they feel like covering, they do. And I'm sure there's some science to that over the years. Uh, you know, like I think Nick Saban doesn't really care about covering and others do. Um, Ohio State is not— usually quite this high so i'm thinking they may not be paying attention near the end
0: okay uh all right so for my second bet uh there's no boxing worth betting this week so let's do an nfl money line uh great showdown in the nfc west on monday night the 49ers hosting seattle not a must win for the Seahawks but if they hope to win the division it is a must win Seattle's not a great team they're kind of a deceiving 7 and 2 uh but I think the Niners are a more deceiving 8 and 0 they have to lose sometime uh do I think it'll be this week Not really, but Seattle is plus 230 on the money line, and that's a great price. Uh, I'd say this is like a 60-40 game in favor of San Francisco, whereas plus 230 treats it like it's a 70-30 game. So let's bet $100 on Seattle to pull the upset.
2: I like your picks better than mine each week. <laughs> at least I'm recognizing that your picks are better. And then when they turn out to be better, then I, you know, so that's good. All I should right. just be betting your bets, really. <laughs> there we
0: go. That's what we'll do from now on. I'll make a bet, and you'll just say, put another hundred on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, all right. We close things out with the Fast Five, where I made up the tiniest amount of ground. Now, speaking of... Uh, uh, you know, taking each other's advice and taking each other's bets. Maybe I should just be uh, following you in the fast five because uh, you are still ahead. But uh, this week I did uh, make up a, a tiny amount of ground. I went 3-1-1 and while you went 3-2. and uh, And we both could have done better. A loss could have been a push if Adam Vinatieri had hit that field goal at the end. But oh well, still a positive week. You're now at 25-19-1 and I've pulled just over 500 at 22-21-2. And I'm up first this week. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but let's start with the Jets. Uh, I, I know <laughs> they're a mess, uh, but so are the Giants. Uh, the Jets are going to be motivated against their local rival coming off the embarrassing loss to Miami. Sam Darnold's going to want to have the game of his life against Daniel Jones. And I just love that they're getting two and a half points in a game that feels like it's going to come down to one team or the other missing a game-winning field goal. That's how it has (laughs) to end. Uh, Also, Darren Ravel is on the other side, so that makes this a can't-lose to take the
2: Jets.
0: (laughs) Um, Next up, I feel like this pick is a little too easy, but give me the Bills plus three at Cleveland. On the one hand, we're getting a bad line here. It's three and a half or four at some other books, but still – the 6-2 and two team that hasn't lost to a bad team yet is playing against a 2-6 and six team with a disaster of a coach where the wheels are coming off, and the 2-6 and six team is favored by a field goal? Maybe I'm a sucker, but give me Buffalo. Uh, maybe my favorite pick of the week, I love the Packers, minus 5. Not that I think Green Bay has a great team, but they're at home. They're in a bounce-back spot off a very flat loss to the Chargers. And the Panthers are that team, sort of like the Bills, that wins the games they're supposed to win and loses the games they're supposed to lose for the most part. This feels to me like a convincing win for the Packers and that game where people who pick the Panthers come away afterwards saying – I picked Kyle Allen over Aaron Rodgers. What was I thinking? <laughs> um, next one, I have to hold my nose on this one, uh, but give me the somewhat frisky dolphins getting 10 in Indianapolis. Jacoby Brissett is questionable. T Y Hilton is doubtful. The Colts don't blow teams out. Their biggest win this season is seven points. Uh, I might pull my move where I have to root for both sides to an extent because I might pick the Colts in the FanDuel Survivor Pool uh, if it turns out Brissett is playing. Um, So I'll want them to win, uh, just not by double digits. And lastly, uh, my money line bet earlier should give this away. I'll take the Seahawks getting 6.5 in San Francisco. I think that line is a point or two wide. One way or another, I expect this game to come down to Russell Wilson having the ball in his hands in the final minutes with a chance to win.
2: (laughs) All right, Eric. uh, I believe this was my fourth consecutive three and two week, which is not bad. Um, Mm -hmm. I continue to accept that. But um, I just have to mention that anybody who won a bet that included the Steelers on the money line over the Colts, uh, and that includes somebody in New Jersey, I think, won almost a million dollars on one of the books, um, should immediately donate all that money to charity because that was a terrible, (laughs) terrible pick, way, way, (laughs) way beyond that Shankopotamus kick by Vinatieri at the end. You had a a, a halftime ending play that uh, led to a personal foul by the Colts that put the uh, Steelers in field goal range, and I got three points that way. Obviously, you got an injured quarterback on the Colts side. Uh, just all kinds of flukes, I and mean, that was terrible. Um, I think not donating that money to charity. I think you wind up in that, I think it's the Final Destination movie series where those lucky enough to escape fate the first time, they, they soon meet a grim end anyway, so I think that's where it's going with those Steeler pickers, but <laughs> okay. on to the picks. Now I've vented, I'm all done. The rant okay. is over. Good. Um, first, I'm challenging you a couple of times. Uh, okay. Browns minus three versus Bills. The two and six Browns are better than the six and two Bills. Wow. And unfortunately, okay. the, unfortunately, the line mostly recognizes that, but I do like having that field goal win protection there, uh, you know, just in case I, I don't get beat on the, the hook there. So uh, I think the Browns are going to win, obviously, by more than three. Um, Giants minus two and 2.5 at Jets. Um, but they're playing in my backyard, so I have to pick the game, I feel. Um, I don't have to open the shades and watch them play, but I have to pick the game, I think. Uh, at this time uh, of year, I'm really kind of looking to see which bad teams have had their spirits broken, and I definitely see more of that with the Jets and the Giants. Um, all, all the motivational stuff you talked about was true last week as Adam Case is going into Miami, and there's a winless team, and they have to do it, and Darna wants to bounce back, and they all want and then they got beat pretty good. So I think the Jets are toast. Um, Ravens minus 10 versus Bengals. Uh, the sentimentality can be, Oh, the Bengals get an emotional lift from quarterback, Andy Dalton being (laughs) benched. I'm sure that inspired a few of the players, but um, they stink either way. So, uh, 10's, uh not enough for the Bengals to hang in there. Um, Lions plus two and a half points over the Bears. I'll admit the Bears showed some second half spunk versus the decimated Eagles last week, but they still lost. So I'm hoping that dampens what little is left of their fire, and there can't be much left now. Uh, finally, Rams minus three and a half first. Of course, the Steelers. <laughs> you had to know I was going there. Um, this just in, the Steelers are terrible. They were the worst four and four team in many, many years. Um, so just take the Rams and enjoy your winnings.
0: All right, couple of head-to-heads. Should be an interesting week. Uh, That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Anthony Curtis. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out.
2: You know, Eric, I believe science tells us that optimists live longer than pessimists. So um, it has to be tempting for those in the U.S. legal gambling expansion game uh, to be buoyed by the fact that uh, two New York state lawmakers this week told us that 2020, that's the year the state finally adds mobile betting and maybe approves full scale casino play at Yonkers and Aqueduct and maybe Belmont and Saratoga Springs get on the action, too, and other tracks. And it's really tempting. Um But I'm reminded of some words of wisdom from many, many years ago. Uh, You know, the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but that's the way to bet. So in this case, alas, I would fade the optimism and you'll likely snag a nice payout come next June when nothing happens um, with the dwindling time that you'll have left. And with that, until next time, Gamble on.